You're listening to the official podcast of Oasis Community Church, where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. If you'd like to learn more about Oasis, request prayer, or get in touch with a pastor, visit our website at oasischurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. God, thank you for making this space for us, and I pray that you open our hearts today to receive what you want to sow in them, like soil that's broken up and ready for the seed and ready for the rain. God, I pray that you, you give us what we need today. I pray blessings on everyone here, and may they be a blessing as they leave. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. It's good to be here, and I'm especially glad to have friends with us, Ken and Melissa Archer and Mark and Joan Cartledge, who are on their way next to Ireland and spending Christmas, in, which is a goal of mine. That's on the bucket list, as they say, spend, spend a Christmas in, in the UK. I'm especially glad to have Pastor Robbie here. It's a Christmas miracle. I've spoken a handful of times this year. Every time I speak, he's gone, and he's here this week, right? I think he must have gotten wind about what I was going to say and came to, to moderate. So you can just kind of wave your hand, and we'll all know what that means. I, I say that, I mean, I am joking, of course. I, I really don't anticipate being waved down. But I, you know, you, you have, sermons are a little bit like, about, like meals that you prepare, and some of them are pretty straightforward and, and pretty easy to make. You know, you, you have your sermons that are like microwave oatmeal, right? I've heard a few of those, which usually, you know, that's, that's good. This is one of those sermons that's kind of like pufferfish, like it could really kill you, right, if I get it wrong, right? And, and I'm really hoping it doesn't turn out like that. Uh, it's... It's a strange message for lots of reasons. One is because this is a Christmas season, and, and we, I, I at least, love this time of year. I love the sweetness of this time of year, the, the beauty of this time of year. But for Christians, Christmas is a season with a hard edge. It's a season that actually cuts right through all of our sentimentality. The belief that God has come is, is a source of joy. I mean, we today are celebrating the Sunday of joy in Advent season. But it's a joy that is fully aware, is face-to-face with the sorrow of the world. I think, I think it's one thing to be a Christian of joy with your back turned to everyone's suffering. It's another thing to be a person of joy in the midst of everyone's suffering. And that's what we are called to do, right? That Christ is born into the world in in a time of, of, of deep, deep trouble. And we continue to live in a world that is deeply troubled. I, I don't think we think often enough about this as people, who, of, of people of faith, as people of faith, people who confess that Christ is Lord, that Christ's coming hasn't changed much. I mean, think about it. I mean, as joyful as it is, as much as we celebrate, before Christ came, there were those who were oppressed and maltreated and abused, and now on this side of Christmas, on this side of Easter, and on this side of Pentecost, there are people who are poorly treated and abused, taken advantage of. Before Christ came, there was sickness and death, agonizing death, 
And on this side of Christmas and on this side of Easter and on this side of Pentecost, there is still sickness and there is still death. My dad just yesterday had surgery for cancer. Thankfully, he came through it well. But we all know how that story ends. He doesn't come through that every time. And as grateful as we are that it happened this time, there's a next time. In the story of Christmas, we, we, and we're, I'm going to say, read in just a moment from Mary's song, but as soon as Mary makes this proclamation, she stays with Elizabeth for a little while and then she goes home. And from the time that she goes home until the end of the gospel, she's experiencing sorrow after sorrow after sorrow. So the triumph of the song that we're going to read together in just a moment opens out on a life of having her soul pierced with many sorrows. I mean, think, think about it. Not, not long after Christ is born, there's a slaughter of innocence where the king, in, in an effort to squelch any rival, slaughters every child that he can, every, every possible threat that he can. And Christ manages to escape with his family into Egypt. And comes home, he's hidden for most of his life, but once he announces himself, he announces himself into a world filled with trouble and he lives under threat. And then eventually, as happens with all of us, that threat comes home to bear on Christ. And one day, today we're, we're celebrating the anticipation of his birth, but not too long from now we will celebrate, mark his death. His death comes for him too. And I think it's, it's so important. Uh, my neighbor has a sign in her yard, keep Christ in Christmas. I think for a lot of people, I don't know what she means by it, but for a lot of people that's, that's code for keep America Christian. I, I don't know what she means. But we should keep Christ in Christmas in this sense that we should never forget that Christmas, as beautiful and as sweet as it is, as wonderful it is to have the people we love gather around us and to sing carols together and to share meals together, Christmas happens in a world that is not yet redeemed. It happens in a world in which death still claims to rule. It happens in a world in which sin still runs rampant and injustice threatens us at every turn. Christmas every year happens in a world that hasn't changed much. And we're the people who, filled with the Spirit of God, are foolish enough to keep saying, yes, it hasn't changed much, but wait. Wait. The change is coming. And so with that said, let's look at, at Mary's song. Mary is often pictured as a kind of shrinking violet, as the stereotypical embarrassed housewife just embarrassed to have attention on her. But that's not at all how the gospel portrays her. That she's in no way intimidated by this moment, apparently. Because this, once this word has come, Luke chapter 1, once this word from Elizabeth has come, this word of blessing, Mary bursts into song. And listen to what her song is. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Think about the boldness in this claim. Right? For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. The mighty one. Think about how she names God. 
the mighty one. The one, this is, comes from Israel's prophetic tradition. The mighty one is the one who comes at the end of history to redeem Israel and bring justice to Israel by bringing vengeance on Israel's enemies. So she says, the mighty one has come to me. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. This is a song about the coming of the God of vengeance. The coming of the God of recompense. The coming of the God of retribution. And she says, when this God comes, the world changes. Those who are mighty are stripped of their mightiness. And those who were low are lifted and exalted. Those who are hungry are fed. And those who could have fed the hungry and did not are sent away empty. This is Christmas. Christmas is the season in which we proclaim and sing with Mary that when God comes, injustice is faced, called for what it is, and called down because of what it is. You can't, you can't be filled with the spirit of Christmas without being filled with the hope for the vengeance of God. You can't be filled with the spirit of Christmas without being filled with the hope for the vengeance of God. The world is not right. And even if your life or my life is right, even if in the circle that I call my own, everything is in order, that's not the state of things for my neighbor. And we are called to weep with those who weep. Not only to weep when something is broken in our lives, but to weep when something is broken in our neighbor's life. And everyone who's in need is our neighbor. Whether we know their names or not, whether we speak their language or not, whether we've visited their home country or not, everyone we know is a neighbor. Because in Christ they belong to us and we belong to them. So as long as there is anything broken in this world, as long as there is anyone hungry, as long as there is anyone who's mistreated, as long as there is anyone who's abandoned, we weep for those who weep and we cry out for the justice of God to come. That's the spirit of Christmas. Mary doesn't just sing that the hungry are fed. She says the hungry are fed and the rich are sent away empty-handed. There's as much threat in the promise of the gospel as there is mercy. And, and we have to let the threat of Christmas hit us. We have to let the weight of the promise slash threat. You know, this is the way, the way that we, we often think of the promise of God as bringing only the restoration of good. We don't see the promise of God as bringing about the restoration of the good through the destruction of the evil. And we have to, Paul says it this way to the Romans. He says, let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. And one way of thinking about what's wrong with many of us, what's wrong with me and with you and with the way we've been shaped in the Christian life is that we haven't been taught to hate properly. We hate people. People are not to be hated. We hate ourselves, but ourselves are not to be hated. We hate difficulty, but difficulty is not to be hated. Evil is to be hated. 
And there is no way to bring the justice of God into the world without that justice destroying injustice. In other words, there's no way for the blessing of God to come without the curse being cursed. It's one of my favorite lines in, in all of the, the Christmas carols, that his blessing comes and reaches far as the curse is found. But how does the blessing come to the curse except as a curse? The curse is cursed. Injustice will be destroyed. And that's why scripture, like Mary's song, is filled with promise of the coming of the vengeance of God. And if that seems odd to us, it's probably because we're reacting against sick versions of desiring the justice of God. We're probably reacting against hearing sermons about hell or sermons about the wrath of God that portrayed God to be capricious, a kind of drunk father who stumbles in to abuse his children. But that's not the hope of Scripture. The hope of Christmas is not the hope of the coming of an angry God, but the coming of a loving God who is angry for what has been done to his and is going to set it right. And there's no way to preach the Christmas story, there's no way to sing the Christmas story without preaching and singing about the justice of God, the wrath of God, the vengeance of God. And to immediately make clear that's not what we've imagined it to be, as, as you'll see. Right? But Mary's song, let, let it rest on you for a moment, Mary's song is God feeds the hungry. There shouldn't be anyone hungry. God is coming to make that right. And when he does, there are those who should have fed the hungry who didn't. And they will have to face the fact that they could have and didn't. And they will be sent away empty-handed. That there are those who are lowly, who are oppressed. No one should be oppressed. No one should be oppressed. And so God is coming to make that right. And he will lift up the lowly. But lifting up the lowly will expose that there are those in power who had the right and the ability to lift up the lowly and did not do it. There are those who are in power now. In power in our churches. In power in our state. In power in our culture. Who have the power to lift up the lowly. And if they don't do it, when Jesus comes, they face Jesus as having failed in their calling. And Jesus strips the mighty of their mightiness. He pulls down the powerful from their thrones. This week, I was, I had a couple of experiences that brushed me up against evil I think we should hate. Now, here, here's the problem. We have to hate evil. We have to curse the curse. But that evil is at work in us, not just outside of us. And part of the problem with being the people of God and being people who, like Mary, call for the mighty to be pulled down and the rich to be sent away is that we are mighty too. You can't pray God's vengeance on anyone else without inviting that same justice to fall on you. You can't call for God to justify what you've done without also calling him to justify what others have done. And in that, exposing you as having failed. So I say what I'm about to say with, with, with the asterisk of, who knows what this reveals about me? But I'm going to tell the stories nonetheless. My wife and I were watching a movie together. It's called A Marriage Story. Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson play a husband and wife who are divorcing. And there's a scene, I, I don't know that I can talk about either of these things without 
losing control a little bit. It's puffer fish, like I said, but it might kill me before it even gets out of the kitchen. <laughs> and there's a scene where she, Scarlett Johansson's character, goes to see a lawyer, a divorce lawyer, played by Laura Dern, and Laura Dern's performance is incredible. It was so difficult to watch that I told Julie, I can't watch it anymore. I was so angry listening to this divorce lawyer prey on this woman who's in the midst of a divorce, using this moment of vulnerability and weakness to sink her talons of greed so that the thought, realizing there are people out there who see the brokenness of families and take advantage of it, there are people today who are driving fancy cars and live in large houses precisely because they make money off of your misery and mine. And that angers me. That infuriates me. And something on the inside of me says, God, come. Don't let this go unanswered. And again, I say that knowing I'm revealing something about what's in my heart. And who knows the ways in which I've been complicit with that. But still I say, God, even if it's going to cost me, come. That can't stand. That can't stand. Pastors, I just story this week encountered about a youth pastor having an affair with a girl in the youth group. That can't stand. That cannot stand. Is he human? Of course he's human. Can he be forgiven? Of course he can be forgiven. And we can't stand by and act as if that's not evil. And then just a couple of days ago, someone sent me a song by Josh Ritter, and it's called The Gospel of Mary. It sounds so lovely. I was, I was ready for something lovely, and, and then I, it, it, it isn't lovely. The song begins, and you think it's a song about Mary, because she talks about Joseph, the boy, and I are making our way to escape. And in the first couple of stanzas of the song, you think it's a song about Mary and Joseph fleeing to Egypt. And then about halfway through the song, you realize that's not what's going on at all. This is a couple from South America fleeing to the United States. And then the husband, Joseph, dies along the way, and she's arrested and separated from her child at the border. Now, I'm about four minutes into this song. I wasn't prepared for this at all. But I can feel my blood rising. And then she, in the song, she says, at, toward the end of the song, she said, the Holy Family got away because those were simpler days. And mighty Egypt stretched out her hand and welcomed them in. But we did not meet that fate. We came to a country that said it was welcoming us strangers, but left us to die at its gates. I told you, this is pufferfish. And then the song ends with a curse. And the curse is from this woman in the song singing to us, to you and to me. And she says, those who left us to die at the gates someday will be dying too. And my prayer is that when you are dying, 
with your loved ones gathered around you, you will remember the ways you failed us. And you will die in failure and misery. And spend eternity in hell for your unkindness. I wasn't ready for that. You probably weren't either, were you? And this is what I heard the Lord saying to me. You have to learn to curse if you want to be a blessing. The problem with this song is not that it hasn't named an evil. I think it is an evil. People who celebrate the coming of a child under threat from all kinds of forces, people who celebrate the revelation of a child who has to flee as a refugee from his own people. Those of us who call ourselves Christians, there's just no room for us not to be open to the stranger. Those of us who call, us, or call ourselves people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, there's just no alternative to that. We can talk about how best to do it, what is most loving, what is most just. But there is no possibility of being a person of the faith of Abraham, the faith of Moses, the faith of David, the faith that Christ gives us without being people who are open to the stranger and the immigrant. Again, there is room for discussion about how, but there's no room for discussion about whether we are or not. The song is right to curse those who do not open their hearts. The song is wrong because of the kind of curse it asks for. But here's the thing that I want to say before I say anything else. We can't be people who truly love the good unless we're people who hate the evil. And we're, we won't be people who set free the oppressed unless we're willing to call the oppressors for what they are. We won't set people free if we don't recognize that there's bondage that needs to be called bondage and pharaohs who need to be called for what they're doing. There's no way to do this work of the gospel, living the gospel in the world, without being people who know how to bind and loose. People who know how to curse and bless. And that's exactly what Mary is doing in her song. Blessing for the hungry and a curse for all those who could have given and didn't give. Blessing for those who are low, who've been crushed, and a curse for all those who could have lifted up the lowly and instead oppressed them. There is no telling of the gospel that isn't the telling of a curse and a blessing. But here's what makes it gospel. The curse is always in service of the blessing. I think there, one way of thinking of it is there are two kinds of people in the world. There are the people who want to hear the good news before the bad news and the people who want to hear the bad news before the good news. I'm, one of, I'm very much on the side of tell me the bad news first. Let's get that on the table. And then maybe the good news will cut some of that for me. God seems to be like that. That's the only way in which I'm godly, I can say. <laughs> he gives you bad news, but the bad news is always in service of the greater good news. And the Old Testament reading for the day, a reading from Isaiah, makes just this point. It's a passage about the coming of the God of vengeance. And again and again in Isaiah, we get this image. In fact, the rabbis, medieval rabbis, said that this is the message of Israel's hope, that God is a God of vengeance. This is the name of the God that Israel trusts in, the God of revenge. And they pointed to the fact that Deuteronomy ends the Torah, the first the books of Moses, Moses' last word to Israel is God will come and destroy the nations. 
for you. And then the Psalms end, Psalm 149, the very end of Psalm 149, ends with David's promise that God will come and destroy the nations for the sake of Israel. And the rabbis pointed out that this this is the heart of Israel's hope. The heart of Israel's hope is a God of vengeance. But notice what kind of vengeance Israel is anticipating. What kind of vengeance that Mary is singing about. So Isaiah 35 is the text for the day. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are of a fearful heart, be strong, do not fear. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance. With terrible recompense, he will come and save you. Now, we don't have time, but if you go back and read chapter 34, this this. This poem, we've actually started right at the end of the poem. If you go back to the beginning of the poem in chapter 34, it's a long, extended treatment of the coming of this God of vengeance who will turn the waters of Edom to sulfur and pitch, whose sword will be bloody and dripping with the fat of his enemies. And then it comes to this point. Here is your God. He will come with vengeance. With terrible recompense, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. Now that's not the vengeance I expected. You said he would come with terrible recompense. And then the eyes of the blind are opened and the ears of the death are unstopped. The lame leap like a deer and the tongue of the speechless sings for joy. For waters shall break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals shall become a swamp. The grass shall become reeds and rushes. This is what vengeance looks like. When God comes, he doesn't just punish the wrongdoers. He sets wrongs right. And this is what it means to be people who pray for the God of vengeance. We're not praying that our enemies will be exposed. We're praying that our enemies will be healed and redeemed. Yes, along the way, their wrongs will be exposed, and so will ours. But all of the cursing is in service of the blessing. In Christ, Paul says, God's word is yes and amen. There is a no. But the no belongs to the yes. When Jesus comes, he does bring down the mighty from their throne. But once the mighty are brought down from the throne, who are they? They're the lowly. And what does he do with the lowly? He raises them up. He feeds the hungry. What does he do with the rich? He sends the rich away empty-handed. But if you're empty-handed, what are you before long? Hungry, even for pufferfish. And when you're hungry and you come to him, he feeds you. Paul uses this very logic when he deals with sin in his churches. He says, put these men out that they may learn not to blaspheme. This this is the call that's on us, to call evil evil so that good's glory can be revealed. 
This is the call that is on us, to confront the Pharaohs in this world so that they can be brought low and then raised up with the rest of us in Christ. This is the message of Christmas. And it's long in coming. And I'm ending with this. As I told you, the scandal for Christians is that not much has changed. Death, sickness, injustice, corruption, abuse, lying, greed. It didn't change. And yet there there are those of us who are gathered around the call of Jesus to say, yes, but. The gospel reading for the day is the story of John the Baptist in prison who sends a message to Jesus and says, are you the one or should we look for another? Now think about what this means. I think this is critically important for us. John the Baptist is the one, right, who's filled with the Spirit when he's still in his mother's womb. I mean, I... I was raised in a Pentecostal church where you were expected to speak in tongues before you actually could speak. John did that. Right? He's he's, he's dancing in his mother's womb. He's the one who says, this is the Lamb of God, slain for us, for the forgiveness of sins, for the salvation of the world. He's the one who sees the heavens opened, sees the Spirit descending, hears the Father saying, this is my beloved Son. And that one, John, is the one who's in prison for having confronted Herod for his wickedness. And John says, wait a minute, are you really the one or do we still look for another? And Jesus' response is so fascinating. He just says, go and tell John, the eyes of the blind are open and the ears of the deaf are opened. He references Isaiah. I am the vengeance of God. Let, Isaiah, let, let John know that Isaiah's promises come true. The vengeance of God is here. And the vengeance of God looks like this. No one saw this coming. The vengeance of God looks like the eyes of the blind being opened and the ears of the deaf being opened and the hungry being fed and the dead being raised to life and the poor being sheltered. That's what the vengeance of God looks like. And then Jesus turns to the crowd and he asked them this question. What did, you, what did you go out to see? When you went out to see John and to hear his message, what, what did you go to hear? What did you go to see? And he says, you went to hear a prophet. And he is a prophet and more than a prophet. But that, that's not at all what you think it means. And then Jesus talks about how this generation is like a group of kids who are complaining because they play and we don't dance. And then he goes down the list of Israel's cities and says, it's going to be worse for you on the day of judgment than it is for Sodom and all the cities of, of infamy. What is happening there? What's happening in the story of John who had such an incredible high there at the Jordan? being the one to to prepare the way for Jesus, to announce that Jesus has come. He's Elijah come again, Jesus says. And yet now he's dying in a prison, unsure of his own message, unsure of his own faith. And the only assurance he gets is, no, the vengeance of God is coming. 
And then Jesus says to the crowd, you don't know what you're looking at. So I'll leave you with this. We have to be people who know how to curse. But we have to make sure the curse we're cursing is the curse of the blessing. The curse of God coming and making things right, not just making some of us seem to be right and others of us seem to be wrong, but truly making things right. And between now and then, we have to realize that not much in our experience is going to validate that. And this is the hard news of Christmas. The hard news of Christmas is we're waiting for him to come. But even when he came, it opened out on another waiting. You realize that, right? I mean, Israel's hope has come. Mary's song is he has come. But what comes next is the flight to Egypt. What comes next is persecution from the authorities. What comes next is the cross. So this Christmas, we need to steady ourselves. We need to be people who know how to curse the curse of the gospel. We need to be people who, need, who are ready to say, this is evil and I hate what is evil. And we need to do that knowing how God's no works for the sake of the yes. How God's judgment works for the sake of his mercy. And we need to know that between now and the fulfillment of that, we'll be people who need a vindication because not much about our experience is going to fit with that. This is, I think, this is the cross Christians bear. And it's, it's beautiful and it's glorious when you see someone who lives it. But think about what it must have been like to be John that day. You're in prison, you ask if Jesus is the one or should we look for another? I like, I like to think John was pretty sure, yeah, Jesus is the one and he's gonna show up and break open this prison and we're gonna reign together. Some fairy tale like that. But Jesus doesn't even visit him. I mean, Jesus tells disciples to visit in prison. and says, I'll be in prison and you never visited me. But Jesus didn't visit John. He just sends a word. And the word is, remember, the eyes of the blind are coming open. The ears of the deaf are coming open. The dead are coming to life. And blessed is the one who's not offended in me. So I, I, want, I want to give you this as a gift. I've gotten a lot of things in my life that were given as gifts, but I'm not sure they were received as such. This may not be received as a gift, but I mean to give it as a gift. And that is, you have been given the power to curse what needs to be cursed. Curse it. Curse it in the name of the blessing that comes. Say no to evil so that good can come. Say no, knowing that there's evil at work in you. Say it humbly. Say it with a sense of humor. Say it open to correction, but say it. And keep saying it, even if nothing in your life seems to affirm it. I don't know what this year is going to hold for you or for me. Or the year after that, or the year after that. But like the song that I referenced, this coming today where for you and for me, we're going to be in our last breath, we're going to be on our deathbed. 
And everything we've said about God is going to be in question. Is he good? Is he faithful? Is he merciful? Is he just? What makes us people of the Spirit is in the face of everything, no matter what comes, we keep saying, he is good, and he is faithful, and he is merciful, and he is just. The mighty will be brought down, no matter what comes. The mighty may reign through my lifetime and through my children's lifetime and the lifetime of the ch my children's children after them, but we will keep saying, he will bring the mighty down. The rich may be oppressive in your life and in my life, and we can curse that as we should curse that, and then live under the burden of it and keep cursing it and waiting for God to come, and we will keep proclaiming that he is the one who sends the rich away hungry and fills the empty with good things, no matter what. Christmas hasn't changed much about the world but it has sown the seed of hope that the world can and will be changed. That someday, this God who's already come is coming again, coming anew, coming in glory to set the world right once and for all. And we will not stop saying what we're saying. We will not stop cursing the curse or blessing the blessing until that day comes. Whether our lives are filled with the joy that we want or not. Bow your heads. God, I, I pray that we can hear this message as a message, a call to endurance, a call to, to persevere in being people who speak the blessing, who curse the curse when it needs to be cursed, who bless those who need to be blessed, and who lash themselves to you in hope of what you're going to bring. In absolute confidence, even if we're in prison, even if everything about our circumstances says otherwise, we are going to keep saying, our God, the God of vengeance is coming and his vengeance will set the world right. The God of vengeance is coming and his vengeance will set the world right. God, I pray this for all of us. We hope you were blessed by today's podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support us, you can do so by subscribing wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can leave us a review on iTunes, and if you want to contribute to Oasis financially, you can go to oasischurch.org. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may God's face shine upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen.